Good morning. If you weren't here last week, I made an announcement for our ladies' event. So I'm going to repeat it and give some more details this time. Um, so coming up February 19th, we're going to have our Say Hello Ladies' Night. So I can say hello to you, you can say hello to me, and we can say hello to each other. So um, I had mentioned, you know, I really want our young ones to come, but I thought about it, and I still want them to come. But I want you as the mom to think about it and make sure that your little one's going to be okay with that. It's still going to be a mostly adult event, adult conversation, you know, kind of sitting around tables. If you feel like they're just not quite ready, then, you know, don't force it. I certainly don't want them to be apart for a little while and then feel like they can go to childcare because we just, we won't be staffed. Uh, for that kind of event. So anyways, talk it over with your little one. Just kind of help them understand that this is get, get to be a big girl kind of event. Um, and I know some of our little ones are already looking forward to it. But sign up at Main Street Theater. You can sign up today. And you'll get a ticket. The tickets are $5 a piece. Um, so 15 and up, we'll put the price on that. Our little ones, they can come for free. But if you don't mind to help us out by bringing something either sweet or savory, just a little snack to share with one another, so that way we're all kind of pitching in and just kind of making it a tasty little night. So if you have any questions, um, I believe Janice is taking care of registration at the theater, and I hope to see you there. If you're new to the church and uh, this morning, so we had a tongues interpretation of tongues, there is a, a Live Like It Matters Naturally Supernatural booklet. If you're curious about where that's at, it's in the Bible. We, we've talked about this on several weeks. I encourage you to listen to the message online of Empowered, that we, we desire the Lord to continue to speak in the service in our midst. And part of how we know that he can do that is in an orderly and peaceful way. And I, I definitely saw that happen here this morning. And you saw a unified approach to what the Spirit was speaking that we can be brave, that we can be used of him. He desires for us to be used in, in service of him. Uh, so I just encourage you, if you are new, you have questions, feel free to ask one of the pastors, ask myself, uh, feel free to come visit, read that booklet. If you've got questions, uh, there's many people that could answer those questions. But we're in this series, Live Like It Matters. This is the last sermon from that series. And I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Yep, amen, we got. <laughs> Each service was a little bit different. Sunday morning was our main worship gathering. Sunday night uh, was similar to that, but oftentimes we'd have extended times at the altar, kind of like at these front steps here. And Wednesday night, for me, it was Royal Rangers, then it was youth group, you know, so a different emphasis for each one. And once Shelly and I had kids, we realized that their life in church was going to look a little bit different. Of course, this was compounded by the fact that we, we spent the last 10 years overseas, so that automatically makes it look a little bit different. But as we were growing in, in our parenthood and trying to figure out with our kids, how do we best raise them for God? Uh, we started to consider how is church today and how are we going to help them? It's going to be a different experience than it is for them than it was for us. You know, but we already shared that our time overseas, it, it brought us closer to God, that by losing our lives, we found them. By leaving everything behind, Jesus became our treasure. So our discussion was centered around how do we impart upon our kids, how do we help them make Jesus their treasure? And how do we share that with others as well? We didn't want to just restrict it to our kids. Well, John chapter 15 and Mark chapter 1 help us to understand how to make that happen. So my question for you this morning is, have you 
grown up in the church, experiencing God in various types of services, and you're wondering, what does that look like today according to culture? Or maybe you're new in your relationship to Jesus, but looking for ways to grow your faith. Or maybe you're here today, someone or something brought you through these doors, and you just want to know what it is that this Jesus thing is all about. Wherever you find yourself, I want you to know that you can live a life that matters by pursuing Jesus. This is what we spent the last five weeks talking about in this series. We opened the series defining what the it is and live like it matters. The it is Jesus. It's not our possessions. It's not our family heritage. It's not our knowledge of the Bible. It's not our religious activity. To live a life that matters, we must live a life where Jesus matters keeping him at the center. What we learned in that first sermon is that living for Jesus is better than living for this world. And then we talked about empowered to live the word. We discovered that your life can count by being empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And next was sent. Tell the story of Jesus. We learned that Jesus followers must become disciple makers in order to live a life that matters. And then came surrender, serving others. And this message that Shelley and I shared we found that a life that matters finds infinite joy surrendering to Jesus. And last week, we talked about fearless, to give generously, that fearlessly living for the kingdom of God is better than living for the kingdom of this world. So now this week, we're going to finish the series by jumping into a passage in John 15 where we talk about abide, pray daily. John 15 emphasizes fruitfulness. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we are told that that is the purpose for which we were created. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Adam and Eve were to be fruitful people. Have children who are fruitful and extend God's influence and purpose through all of creation. This is what we were created for. Throughout the Old Testament, God continues to use the metaphor of fruitfulness to describe people who love him who serve Him, and who live for Him. On a few occasions, Scripture refers to those who who do not bear fruit, those not bearing fruit as people living in rebellion and sin. Fruitfulness generally describes Christ-like character, such as repenting of sin, of, of loving people, of serving in ministry, providing finances for God's work, part of what Pastor Kevin talked about. It's doing things that demonstrate love for God and love for neighbor. This is what fruitfulness is. This is the backdrop for the passage of Scripture that as followers of Jesus, we must bear fruit. To live like it matters, to bear fruit, we must abide in Him. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15 if you're not already there. We're going to be looking at the first five verses of this passage. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning and don't have an electronic device, you've got Bibles underneath your chairs, you're welcome to use those and take it home if you don't have one there. Reading the first five verses, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that has been spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. To live like Jesus matters, we must abide in him because our character is shaped through time. This passage of Scripture, it's one of Jesus' farewell discourses. It's one of his final speeches to his disciples. And here's why he makes it a matter of priority. Jesus knew his departure was close and his disciples would no longer have the opportunity for him to be with them. So the disciples were about to learn how to abide in Jesus in a very different way. You know, an essential part of, of horticulture is planting the right type of vine or tree to assure quality fruit. No fruit is better than the vine that produces it. Jesus says, I am the true vine, unless a believer is vitally connected to Jesus. They will not bear the fruit they are meant. It'll be of poor quality. There may be branches, but if they are to bear quality fruit, they must be connected to the true vine. A friend of mine, he's got a house rule that his kids can only watch as much TV as they have spent time with Jesus. Yeah, parents, see how that one's going to go. So, very simply, if they have spent 30 minutes in the morning reading their Bible and prayer, memorizing Scripture, they get 30 minutes after school to watch TV. If they don't, well, no TV time. But here's the point. My friend wants to make sure that his kids are connected to the right vine. Are you connected to Jesus? Do you spend more time with him than you do your TV? If Jesus only gets five minutes a day, it's not very likely you're going to bear good fruit. To live like Jesus matters, we must abide in him. Jesus is the vine and God is a vine dresser willing to take care of the vine to promote fruitfulness. To live like Jesus matters, we must abide in him because God takes action to secure fruitfulness. The relationship of the believer to God is that of the vine to the owner of the vineyard. God is the vine dresser. He tends it, he waters it, he guards it, and cultivates it in order to produce a maximum yield. The vine dresser has a deep interest in its growth and its welfare. As a follower of Jesus, God wants to see you produce an abundant yield. You should want that for yourself. This is partially done by fully developing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus is in the business of character development to make you an accurate reflection of him to the world. He wants you to be made more like him. Left to itself, a vine produces a good amount of unproductive growth. Pruning is needed. So there's two kinds of pruning. One where you remove the dead wood and you also have to trim the live wood. By doing so, the potential for fruit-bearing increases. The vine grower's concern that the vine be healthy and productive. This is what God wants of you. The caring process gives a picture of God dealing with his children. God removes the deadness, and he cultivates life in the believer, increasing greater fruitfulness. So how is the pruning and cleansing done? It's done through the word of God, confronting sin, inspiring holiness, promoting growth, this is why we spend so much time in his word. As Jesus instructed his disciples, they experienced a pruning process. Three years they were being pruned, removing evil, conditioning them for greater service. God purifies all of his children that they may be useful 
He takes away the things that hinder usefulness. He teaches them, revives them, and purifies their life. He removes objects that bind their affections and render them inactive. Pride, selfish nature, materialism, ungodly thoughts. If something makes you inactive or unproductive, God wants to deal with it because he loves you. A couple of weeks ago in our Connect group, one of our group members said, well, pastor, talking about our Sunday morning services, you make me feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. But he did remark, but in a good way. You know, my hope, my prayer, is that we open up the Bible every Sunday morning, we shed light on a passage. We want the Holy Spirit to light up areas in your life that maybe you need for God to work on. God the vine dresser wants to deal with inactive and unproductive areas in your life. In verse 3, Jesus declares to the disciples, you are clean. The disciples were under a purifying process all the time he was with them. He removed false notions of the Messiah. How many know sometimes we start thinking one thing and God comes in and says, no, actually I mean this. That happens? Of course it does. He gradually confronted the foolishness of desiring earthly honors. It's what they were after at first. He taught them to be willing to forsake all things. He trained and disciplined them, and immediately after his death, they were ready to bear fruit among the nations. Jesus puts his followers through a process of purification. He points out immature thoughts and faulty feelings. He points out uh, the process, although it can be uncomfortable, the end result is a closer walk with him. And of course we know he's worth it. So are there areas in your life that need to be dealt with? Pride, materialism, selfish nature. Allow the vine dresser to deal with those areas in your life today. To live like Jesus matters, we must abide in him. God is a vine dresser. He desires to develop healthy vines capable of producing fruit. Jesus reveals that fruit develops as we abide in him. To live like Jesus matters, we must abide in him because he is the source of our fruitfulness. Abiding is a necessary prerequisite of fruitfulness. Continued production depends on constant union with the source, who is Jesus. Effectiveness depends on believers receiving a constant flow of life from Christ. No branch bears fruit by itself. Can't happen. No spiritual achievement is possible while separate from him. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That's what the scripture says. Apart from him, you will not find meaning in life. Apart from him, there is no hope for the future. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing of lasting significance. Apart from him, you can do nothing of eternal value. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Now counter that with the words of Paul in Philippians. Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So my question for you this morning is this. This is the big one. Where do you want to be living? Do you want to be living in this space apart from me? I can, I can do nothing apart from Jesus. You can do nothing. Or would you rather be living in the space where I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? We have to choose that. In which area do you want to be living? Fruit bearing is not only possible, but it is certain if the branch remains in the vine. 
you will bear fruit if you abide in Jesus. It will happen. How do you grow in your love of God? You abide. How do you love people? All people? The unlovely, our enemies, our neighbors, our co-workers, our brothers and sisters in Christ? We abide. How do we have the ability to live in the Spirit? We abide. Abide means to remain. To remain in the presence of Jesus. To meditate on His Word. To remain in a state of prayer and worship. To remain in the mindset of Christ. We are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. We linger in Him, and He lingers in us. We live in Him, and He lives in us. He is a source of life. Abiding is both the journey and the destination. Abiding is spending an extravagant amount of time with Jesus every day. Abiding is constant communion in the midst of a crowded world and a busy life, and it's a unique time of sweet, exclusive fellowship. The Greek word behind abiding, meno, it implies a sense of endurance, continuance, tarrying, and waiting with expectancy over time. What you will find with abiding is that discipline leads to desire, which matures into delight. And I told you, I don't want to focus on denial. I think we're supposed to focus on delight. You must abide for yourself, for your family, and for others. To abide for yourself, you should abide like Jesus. And how did he do it? We find this in Mark 1. It says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Then Luke 5, But he, talking about Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus models abiding. And if Jesus needed to abide, how much more do we? Now, I know uh, as I've talked with different people, and as we've traveled, I had spoken in, in lots of churches, there are those who miss Sunday night services. And as a person who grew up with them, I understand that. I really do. But after having spent a decade overseas, we worked very hard to not impose American cultural Christianity upon the cultures where we ministered. We simply wanted to bring them Jesus and allow them to define in their culture how that can best be expressed. And I don't know for sure, but as I've had time now for a decade to consider how we in an American setting do church, I have wondered, were Sunday night church services our way of, of allowing people to abide in Jesus because they weren't doing it at home? I've asked myself that question. And I say that because I'm at a place where I don't miss Sunday night services. Because, and here's the important part, I have that time with the Lord. In fact, I have much deeper times with the Lord every day, every morning in my own home. There's a space for Sunday night services, and we'll talk about that at some point. But what I'm saying is we shouldn't count on that and miss that because we're not taking that time for ourselves, that we're not taking responsibility upon ourselves to make that space in our own home. Are you with me this morning? I think sometimes we've handed things to the church that Jesus never meant. He went alone and prayed. If, my, if the Son of God was doing that, how in the world should we think we can survive in this world and not do the same? We must abide in Him. I desperately want this for you. I want this principle for you. When Shelley and I were leaving Jerusalem, I talked much about abiding there with all of the, the volunteers who were there. And they said, if there's one thing, one takeaway from you guys having been here, it's on abiding. And in fact, Shane and Mandy, our friends, were here. 
And they asked, have you preached on abiding yet? I said, no, we're getting there though. So they knew essentially I eventually would get there. I'm going to ask Shelly to come here. Oh, actually, hold on, Shell. I'm going to cover a couple more things. Come have Shelly talk about abiding as well. Because we desperately want this for you. There are many ways to abide. There's a great 365-day devotional read, My Daily Pursuit, by A.W. Tozer. If you don't know Tozer, I'd like to introduce you to him. He's a great man of God. What I know is everyone here is at a different place in, time, in their exposure and in the time that they spend with the Lord. So if you're new to the faith and really have not, outside of coming together on a Sunday morning, spent time with Jesus, I'd invite you to start here. Grab a 365 devotional like this one and simply read this, journal about it, pray about it, apply its biblical principles to your life and see the difference that it'll make for you. Now, if you already have a regular time with Jesus every day, here's my challenge. Dig deeper. Spend an extravagant amount of time with him. He's worth going to bed early to wake up so that you can have that time. You don't want to miss it. And in that time, what can you do? You read your Bible, first and foremost. There's lots of Bible reading plans that can ensure that you read through the Bible in a year, and that's what I'd encourage you to do. And don't just read this, especially if you're not used to waking up early. What happens when you read? What happens? You fall asleep, absolutely. So don't. Here's the way to avoid that. Number one, drink coffee. I advocate for it. Nowhere does it say in the Bible you can't. Um, But more than that, engage with your word. Underline passages. Write notes. It's okay to write in your Bible. It doesn't say you can't do that. Uh, Take time to journal. If there's a key verse about it, journal about it. Make some notes about it. Engage with your Bible. If there's a scripture that reminds you of prayer, begin to pray. If there's a scripture that reminds you of a song, begin to sing it. And if you don't know how to sing, it's okay. Nobody's there to hear you. You can get away with it. And then memorize scripture. This is important to get the word of God in your heart. Pray. A simple way to pray, we gave out an acrostic during the week of prayer if you were here. P stands for praise. You simply start by praising God and all the things that he's done in your life and who he is to you. You go to R, which is repent. I said realign. We want to realign ourselves with God that we can find our results in prayer. Because A is to ask. We realign with God so we can ask and begin to seek and petition for him. And don't just ask for yourself. Please ask for others. Um, may you begin to petition the Lord for requests that come your way. And the last thing is why? To yield. We want the Lord's will to be done in our lives, in earth, as it is in heaven, as the, the Lord's prayer would advocate. And then sing songs. If there are songs that you miss in a church setting, um, don't wait for Sunday. Sing them at home. Shelly and I, we, uh, so we grew up with hymns, and lots of you guys did, I'm sure. So when we were with our volunteers in Jerusalem, I bought hymn books, and I passed those out, and I said, I'm going to teach you guys hymns. And so they started learning hymns. I don't know that they ever appreciated it, but that's okay. They still had to learn them anyway. Um, but if you like hymns, sing those at home. I do. So the, the, honestly, the songs that have stuck in my heart are those usually we sang in that Sunday evening time at the altar. So those are the songs that our kids know because we sing that over them as they go to sleep. Uh, it was awesome, and I think we've got the video somewhere of Haley. She might be three. Remind me of the line, Shell. Um, that's right. It's about Jesus, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Do you guys know this? Okay. So I love hearing that, her three-year-old voice, like the fragrance. Like, who says fragrance as a three-year-old? Um, but it was great. So sing songs where you can just pour out your heart before the Lord and do that in your home. Engage with him there. And the last thing I'd encourage you is just sit and listen. Don't just make all of your talking to God. Allow God to talk to you. A great book you could read on abiding is Richard Foster's uh, Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth. 
Foster breaks the book into three sections. I love it this way. There's inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. There's outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And the last one is our corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. So I encourage you, pick up a copy and read it. I know that it would help you in your abiding time. A Chi Alpha group uh, we're connected with in Sam Houston State in Texas is led by a friend, Eli Goutreau, great man of God. And he came up with this principle of he wanted all of his Chi Alpha members holding a Bible and holding a book. And the book was from an old dead guy or gal. So what happened in bookstores around their area is they found a weird trend. All the bookshelves were void of books from old dead guys and gals. Books by C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, Elizabeth Elliot, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corey Tin Boom, Andrew Murray, Smith Wigglesworth, E. Stanley Jones, and more. So another way, great way to abide in Jesus is take an old dead guy's or gal's book with you everywhere that you go. And with technology today, it's very easy. If you're standing in line, you're waiting at the BMV, you've got time to read. Why not focus on that? To live like Jesus matters, you must abide in him. I'm going to have Shelly come and share a little bit about part of the principles we've learned as it relates to abiding time. Well, we've definitely talked about the importance of knowing God, loving God, experiencing God, but sometimes we can get caught up in the experience itself. Even this morning, it would be easy to walk out of the service and say, wow, the Lord was really present there, and um, you know, different people shared, and different people gave words, and, and, you know, but my question is, but what did you learn? How did God impart knowledge to you? Because you're more likely to talk about that. I mean, let's just be honest, especially if you don't know the names of the people here. You know, how quickly are you going to leave and call someone and rattle off all the details of this service? You're more likely to talk about what God has done in your life and what you have learned or knowledge he has imparted to you. And so in our time of really trying to lengthen our abiding time, because at first, you know, we kind of had a rhythm to what we would do. You know, maybe do a devotional, read our Bibles, pray a bit. But we wanted to move into this extravagant amount of time. And I realized that, you know, time is precious. People are busy. And that's why Zach said it may come down to you having to go to bed earlier at night. You know, you may have to make some changes in your life so that you have time to spend in the Lord's presence. And, you know, Zach does such a great job of laying out why we should do this. And the Bible tells us we should do this. And he points to that. So we know it's true. But I want to tell you, if you can get yourself into the discipline of, of spending an extravagant amount of time in his presence, you're going to want to do this again and again and again. And before you know it, you will have lengthened your time in the Lord's presence on a daily basis because you are not just experiencing God, but you're learning, you're growing, you're learning his voice. He's prompting you. He may give you a word for someone and later on that day, you'll find yourself calling them and asking this question and saying, I'm not even sure why I'm calling you, but I just really felt like I should call and ask you this question. And you would be amazed at what God does in that conversation for that other person's life and in yours. Because now you are being used of God. And the more that happens, the more willing you are to participate with what God wants to do in other people's lives. 
So during this time of trying to lengthen our time to just enjoy the Lord's presence, I kind of found myself having this, this moment. And I told Zach I kind of had to name it, and so I've named it the Wholeness Connection. You can love it or hate it. It doesn't really matter. But to me, that's it, the Wholeness Connection. And what this is is it's kind of this moment where I'm in my time of prayer. I might be singing songs. I might be praying in the Spirit. I don't really know. But all of a sudden, the Lord can kind of bring something to my mind that's actually a point of correction, which is always a bit uncomfortable, you know. So you kind of have this feeling of like the Lord's kind of putting you on the spot, maybe flushing something out, maybe bringing a memory to your mind. Maybe you said something that you probably shouldn't have said. And now the Lord's kind of bringing that up again. And on the one hand, you want to start to feel like, okay, now I'm in trouble. But for me, I don't even have a chance to really feel that way because the Lord is so present and so real in that moment. You're just continually being flooded with his love and his goodness and his grace and his compassion. And it's this wholeness connection. Like all these things are happening and it's all in just such you know, a matter of a split second because God is God. He does things according to what he can do in our lives. And I have grown so much to appreciate this time because, for one, it shows you that God's not all about you must do this or you must do that. He's all about I love you and I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I really wish you wouldn't have said that. Next time, don't say that. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you understand what I mean? Like, God is for us, which means sometimes he has to approach things in our lives that don't please him. He is a God of holiness, and he's trying to bring us to that place, but we are who we are. We're human. And so as God is trying to say, I love you, and I'm for you, and I'm, I'm doing good things for you if you'll trust me, or what about this issue in your life? Maybe it's a fear. You know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's an issue of, you know, lack of faith. You know, I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but God knows and he wants to be active in that. He wants to deal with this in your life. But he also wants you to know that he loves you and he's for you. And he is the father of good gifts in your life. So as you try to expand your time of abiding, and whether that's reading, journaling, praying, singing, sometimes we move in and out of these different things. You'll, you'll be reading and all of a sudden you'll read a scripture and it's a song you know. Sing it. Sing unto the Lord and allow the Lord to use that moment because he wants to do something powerful in your life. And those are the moments that you begin to talk about. Someone will ask you about something and you'll say, you know what, I'm not really sure about that, but I can tell you about this. And you can begin to just share about what God has done in your life, what he's doing, how he's speaking, how he's leading and guiding you. And as you read, if you tend to get a little bit sleepy, sometimes I just take out a, a pen and paper. And as I'm reading, if something kind of stands out to me more than another, I just jot it down just real quickly. And it's messy. And then at the end of that scripture passage, I'll just go back to that notebook and just read what I jotted down. And it is amazing to see how personal 
every little line is. And God, you just say, Lord, only you. Only you could have said that. And sometimes it's in a verse that you know so well. And you're like, but that verse didn't say that exactly. But the Holy Spirit is moving in your life and speaking through you in ways that only God can do. So we encourage you to do this. One, because it's, it's in the Bible, and Jesus has modeled it for us to spend time with God because he loves you. He created you for himself. That need for love, that need for acceptance, that's for God. It carries out into other relationships, but it's God first. And we ask you to just begin to grow that time with the Lord and in his presence and allow him to begin to fill you and prompt you in ways and use you in ways that only the Lord means to do. So you need to abide for yourself, but you also need to abide for your family. And I think most of us realize that we're living in a time where the days are not what they were 10, even 15 years ago. The things our kids deal with are going to far exceed the challenges that Shelly and I faced growing up. They need to deeply know this book, and they need to have the Holy Spirit living within them. Let's face it, there was a day when you could live a moral life without the Holy Spirit, because morality was the norm, but that day is no longer. If you want to live a holy life, it must come from within. The messages coming from outside, they bombard our kids. Of course, they bombard us as well. But just like we need to abide, we need to encourage them to do it as well. Shelly and I are committed to making our kids our best disciples. So I'm simply going to share with you some thoughts of what we do, but you've got to take and apply it to your life and the age of your kids and what makes sense for you. The first thing we do is when our kids wake up in the morning before they go to school, the rule is no TV, no Wii, no iPad, no electronics. You're going to get ready for school, and part of that is spending time with God. So for Nate, because he's our oldest, so he's nine we have him working through, this year anyway, the Action Bible devotional. It's great. It helps him. There's 52 stories. So what we want to happen with our kids is for the Word to deeply be embedded in their lives. So what we've asked Nate to do with 52 Bible stories is basically read the same story every day for a week because we want that story to be rehearsed in his heart. And then there's activities at the end. The first activity on Monday is he's memorizing Scripture. And then there's an activity for every other day of the week. At least that's how we've laid it out. So that's for Nate to start out in the mornings. Um, of course, we make it age-appropriate for the rest of our kids. But then at breakfast time, that's when we do our family devotions. So right now, we're using the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is one of my favorites because it helps uh, our, our kids understand that Jesus is not only in the New Testament, but that he was present in the Old Testament as well. And so this book helps bring that apart. So we read a story. We usually have fun with it in ways that we kind of act it out sometimes. Um, I'll let you picture that in your own mind. Um, but we have a good time with it. And then as a part of that, there's a book called Window on the World. We are, uh, find it very important that our kids not think about Jesus for themselves, but think about it for the world. And so in here, what it does is it actually breaks out different nations or people groups that need to know who Jesus is. So then it gives great uh, information in there. So we read a Bible story, we read about a, a people group or a nation in the world that needs Jesus, and then we begin to impress upon our kids um, how that they can make that a part of their lives. So we then close in prayer. I have a National Geographic app on my, uh, on my iPad that we will show the world. So we start in America, and then we fly one of the oceans to get to wherever these people are at, because uh, I want my kids to understand world geography. I feel like that was a shortfall in my education somehow. Like, we were asked to go to Sudan. The first thing we did was go back and look up where that is in the world, and that was in our 20s, so that, that's bad. 
Um, so we're trying to help our kids in that area. We want them to know where places are at. Uh, Lucas, is, so when we close in prayer, the first thing we do is we pray for that, that nation. We pray for those people. And then after that, we ask them to pray for their day, their school day, and to pray for somebody at school. May we pray for the world. May we pray for our near neighbors. May we pray also and petition the Lord for ourselves. So that's kind of where we go with it. Um, one of the people group in this book is the Kachua people. They're the children of the Incas. So they're in South America. So Lucas, when he was praying, he loves cars, Lightning McQueen. Um, so when he was praying his prayer for the Kachua people, he said, Lord, help the Kachua. Kachow, kachow. So he's going to insert his own prayers. So it'll enlighten your mornings if you go there. Um, find ways to abide. Find ways to abide. Find ways for your kids to abide. Obviously, as our kids, kids get older, there's going to be more that we do in the way that uh, we have them read through the Bible and um, the prayer times that we'll have with them. So I encourage you, don't... Uh, I guess here's what I've got to say. And I, I feel like I was, I was praying over this this morning. My concern is this, is if you do not impart upon your kids the value of abiding in your own home. If you leave that simply to the church, if the only exposure they have to the Bible happens here on Sundays or in connect groups, um, I really have the conviction that today you could be raising a prodigal child in your home. You as the parent, we are simply supplementing what you should be doing at home. Um, please make it a matter of priority. Um, you know, the, the, the proverb, raise up a child in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. I think too many have thought that a promise, it's not. It's not a biblical promise. It's a proverb. It's what's generally true. Generally, you raise up a child in the way they should go. They won't depart. Um, but you've got to be serious about what you're doing with your kids. Um, please, for the sake of your kids, abide. You know, I grew up with family devotions in my home. We'd have that before we'd go off to school. I made a decision to follow Jesus during our family devotion time. I didn't do that in church. So, parents, I encourage you, make, make abiding in your home a priority. And the last thing is, is that we've got to abide for others as well. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit? We think love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We run through that list. That's not what John is saying. The Greek word here is karpos. And what John is saying when he uses that word, he means it in the context of harvest. The fruit of abiding is the harvest of people. People don't know this in the scripture. It's really important that you understand this. You know, I tell people, we don't put God to the test. We don't need to fleece God. That was Old Testament. We are in the New Testament. We are New Testament believers. We have the Spirit in us. We should have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and prayerfully feet that are quick to obey. But I challenged our church planning team as we were in Jerusalem. We had a dozen of us. I said, if we're going to test God, let's test him in this. Let's put the value or the principle of abiding in place and see what happens. So we spent an extravagant amount of time with Jesus. And that very week, as we were in church service and Jeff was leading worship, people were coming in and we had to find more chairs because there was more people than we had seats. So this is the principle that changes a church. A church that abides is a church that sees a harvest of lost souls. D.L. Moody is well known for his statement, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. But by God's help, I aim to be that man. So here's what I assert. The world has yet to see what God can do with a church fully consecrated to him. By God's help, my aim is for Connection Point Church to be that church. A church full of people who abide in Jesus, who find him as their treasure, who are empowered by the Spirit to live the word, sent to tell the story of Jesus, surrendered to serve others, living fearlessly by giving generously of their time, their talent, and their treasure. What could happen in the world with a church that lives like this? I'd love to find out. How about you?
So have you been looking for ways to make your life count? Do you want Jesus to abide in you, enabling you to do all things for the kingdom of God? Start by making a commitment today to daily abide in him. Start this principle tomorrow when you wake up. Take time every day to read the Bible and pray. You can begin by taking those prayer points. You came in, we have prayer points. So if you don't know what to pray, we already got them for you. Take those home, pray over those this month in your abiding time. Spend time in his word. We're going to close today by taking communion, so I'm going to invite those who are going to give communion to, or help us in that way to do that, because we're going to wrap up here real quickly. And when the plate is passed, so they're going to come forward, they're going to get those plates. As it's being passed and distributed this morning, if you could hold on to those elements, the bread and the drink, because we're going to take those all together this morning. And the worship team is going to help us as well. And I'm going to read from John 6.53. If you're going to help us with communion this morning, feel free to come, and we can pass out those elements. So as that plate is being passed, feel free to take the bread, take the drink. Just hold on to it, and we'll all take that together once everyone has been served. out those elements here this morning. So I'm just going to continue to share as those elements are being distributed. So John 6, 53. Jesus said, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Sounds familiar. Remains in me and I in him. Sounds a lot like abiding. Part of abiding in Jesus is participating in communion. One of the practices of the early church was to take communion regularly. They did this because of the belief that Jesus was in their midst when they took communion. Not in some kind of a magical way, but just special or present in a special way. His presence was the center of early worship. That's why communion became the center point of the early church for their gatherings. Because it was all about the presence of Jesus. The early church wanted Jesus in their midst, just as we do. Now, some denominations believe in what's called transubstantiation. It's a big word, pretty simple meaning. That the, the bread and the drink turn into the literal body and blood of Christ when ingested. We don't believe this. Uh, if we did, we'd have a gluten-free Jesus in the back, but we don't. Uh, so the Bible, it does teach us the presence of Jesus is with us in a special way during communion. So we shouldn't miss this. Jesus abides in us in a special way when we take communion, and it's something to celebrate. So that's what we want to celebrate here this morning as we close on abiding May we know that as we take communion, he's abiding in us. So Paul gives instruction to the church in Corinth regarding communion. This is reading from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It's, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, when I was a child taking communion, those verses really scared me. Uh, I had given my life to Jesus, but I, I had to question, did I yell at Nan, my sister this morning, you know, my drinking judgment upon myself? But that's really not what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about an unworthy manner, he talks about those that have not made a decision to follow Jesus. So in the context of this this morning, if you've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, I would encourage you not to take communion this morning. But I will say this, better than that, make a decision to follow Jesus this morning, and then you can take communion along with us. So if you're here, have not made a decision to follow Jesus, feel free to talk to a neighbor. Uh, You can do this on your own, but asking the Lord, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, for we all sin, we all fall short, and say, Lord, I want you to be, Jesus, be Lord of my life, Dedicate your life to him and take communion with us as a brother and sister in Christ this morning. But if you're not there, if you're not ready to make that decision, I encourage you and would share with you that communion is really not for you today. But otherwise, if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you can joyfully take communion today, celebrating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his willingness to abide in you in a special way as we take the elements. So I think we're close. If you've not been served and there's nobody near you, Raise your hand so we can make sure that we've got the elements to you. Because we're going to start by taking the bread. So if you want to take the bread, once everybody's got that, then we're going to take that together. Father, continuing to pass plates. Uh, If you didn't see this morning, because we gave some direction to a couple of people that had come forward, one of the things we'd like to try to do in our prayer time, because it's so valuable that in our time of Sunday morning worship, that we have the opportunity to pray with people that you can be prayed for. So what we've tried to do is to move the the prayer team a little bit more on the side arches, because, you know, there's a lot of times people that are going to come up here. Hopefully I'm not spilling. I'm sorry, Janice, if I did. Um, But that a lot of times as people come forward to to worship, we want freedom and liberty in worship, but we also want a space for people to be prayed for. So if you miss that, as you come back next week, know we're going to continue to try that out, and hopefully that helps too with someone being able to hear requests that are being prayed for. Um, So as you come back next week, just keep in mind as we have that time of worship and prayer that the prayer teams are on the sides to be able to pray with you, um, because I know we missed some of those this morning. Does everybody have the elements this morning? Missing it in the back? We good? All right. So let us take the bread. Represents Christ's body. Let us take the bread together. Now I encourage you to take the drink. A representation, a symbol of the blood that he poured out for you and I to make us right with God. Let us take the drink this morning. Now I encourage you, if you'd like to stand, we're just going to close in song, giving thanks to Jesus for the ability to commune with him and abide with him.